Amen. So, Paul and Barnabas were in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas ministering, sharing the gospel, and what we're seeing is that multitudes upon multitudes of people are coming to Jesus Christ. What is fascinating? What is amazing? And when we sit here and we talk about it every single day, we read it in the scriptures, but what is amazing is the message that they are preaching. The message that is changing the world, the message that is bringing people from darkness into light and is setting prisoners free, it's one message. And that message is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world. It is through his shed blood and his shed blood alone that people are forgiven and made right with God. And through faith in him and faith in him alone, we become his children and become a new creation. And in so preaching this truth and so proclaiming this truth, people by the droves are coming to know the Lord. Now you might say, well, I wonder why. Now just, just work with me here. Just work with me here. Some people might say, well, it seems like a very, very simple message. It seems like you would have to build up the story more and more so that people would understand. But what people, and I think the humanity gets mixed up about is this. It's not something that we have to change. It's not something that we develop in our own strength or in our own charisma or in our own wisdom. As a matter of fact, a more uh, eloquent speaker or a person that is able in some ways to draw on the emotions of people by the way he happens to talk, though I believe God does give that gift to certain people, the more we strive to do it in our own strength and ability, we often short-circuit what God is trying to do because the truth is there and it is not to be done in our own ability. It is to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. God convicts the hearts of people. God is moving. This is his work. He has chosen to use us. But remember that God says he is not choosing many wise, gracious, or or those people that seem to have it all or have all of the abilities because God is, is choosing them because they are able in their own strength to be able to do things. God says, no, those are not necessarily the people that I call and use, but rather I have chosen the weak. I chose the have-nots, the people that have to rely on me. And really, people, that's where a major short circuit comes in, too, is whenever we are in a position where we do not feel like we have to trust God, whenever we feel like we're sufficient of ourselves, it's whenever we get beyond ourselves and we get beyond our strength And we begin looking to God and recognizing that if we don't have his grace, his strength, his ability, or just come to the reality that we cannot do this work, it must be done through the Spirit of God and human beings yielded to him, that the cross of Christ might be glorified, that the Son of God might be exalted, and that people might see him. It's not us. It's him. Well, that's what's happening here. We're seeing, it says the book of, uh, of Acts, but you know, we say the Acts of the Apostles, but what it is, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit within the Apostles' lives. 
And it's also the acts of the Spirit of God as he moves within his church. The promise was given, and I know I don't need to say that a whole lot, but the promise was given. The Father promised us his Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was to our advantage that he goes away because whenever he left, God would not just simply be around us. God would now live inside of us. We become a new creation and then we move in the power of the Holy Spirit as he works inside of us, changing not only us, but changing the world that is around us. Human beings, if you go back and look at it, as we rebelled against God in the garden, now we see human beings by the grace of God in Christ Jesus now yielding their hearts back to God, back to his rulership as God and king, because all of this belongs to him, and now we see God's life flowing through his people again. Okay? So, we've just studied a, a sermon by Paul as he was given an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We've seen him talk about David, and we, he showed uh, extensively, but repeatedly, for that matter, that David, yes, was going to have a descendant upon his throne forever, but understand David himself has died. He's gone. But there is one that came after him, one of his descendants, Jesus Christ, that is the son of the living God and that he abides forever. His throne will be established forever. And it was the same Jesus that God sent into the world to die for our sins. And they have proclaimed this and people have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they are also beginning to see in a powerful way, you're seeing this again and again over the last couple of chapters, you're seeing this change from the Jews to the Gentiles. It's not that the Jews are rejected. Please don't think of it that way, okay? The Jews, the gospel came first, and there were those that reject, but recognize that there are Gentiles that reject too. But the point is, the gospel then moves from there and now it's being carried to the Gentiles. It came to the Jew first and then the Gentile. We are all his people. So the gospel continues being preached throughout the world. So anyway, multitudes are coming into the kingdom. Paul explains there will be an emphasis in his ministry as God has led him. Now it's time that we do go to the Gentiles so that they get to hear as well. And then we're going to be picking up where some people in the uh, region re did reject them, even after a major, what we might say is a revival, but actually it's not really a revival, it's more of a mass conversion to Christ. And so after that, they shake the dust off their feet, and people were still being filled with the Holy Spirit and coming to Christ. Then we cut to chapter 14, and that's what we're going to pick up again. So in Acts chapter 14, start, starting in verse 1. So... God bless the reading of his word. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews also to preach, and so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and of the Greeks, they believed. They're listening to the message, their hearts being convicted by the Spirit, and they turned to Jesus Christ. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds, okay? They, they're becoming embittered, and that term minds would be souls there. So they're embittering their souls. So poison their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed. The apostles just didn't turn around and walk away. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, 
who were bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And at the end of the last time we were together, I shared with you the importance of the word of God, that the spirit still today is the same God that still works those same miracles. Okay, he does. But they are just that. The Bible says he gives them as he wills, not as we will. So the spirit of God still moves. And there were wonders done by their hands. So verse 4, it says, But the multitude of the city was divided, okay, in hearing the apostles. Part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. And it says, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and to stone them, to stone them, okay, kill them, their intent is for them to die, what do they do? They realize it's better to get out of there. For the time being, and they became aware of it, and they fled from Lystra to Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. But as they go, they continue to preach. Okay, so in verse 7, it says they were preaching the gospel there. All right, now we're going to have another change in events, and something that I love to see in the gospel is something that I believe that the church, even as we have talked about it many times, we need to be reminded of. Okay? An event through a miracle, and you're going to see how people are going to respond to that. Not in the way that they would have liked for the people to respond, but let's just watch and see. Verse 8, it says, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a crippled man from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man has never had any strength in his body whatsoever. From the time he was born, he has never, ever been able to walk. Now, pay attention to these words, how it is said here. This man heard Paul speaking. Now, as he's listening to the message of Paul speaking, it says, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Is that not interesting? Now, some people twist this scripture and make it seem something totally different. People have said in the past, in different moment, movements within the church, and I want to be careful how I say this. People, I am not critical of other denominations as a general rule because for every criticism that I might lay at another person's feet, a criticism can be laid upon me. The truth is, is that I am not perfect. My theolo- theology is not perfect. I don't think anybody, I think really. Now, there are things through this scripture that we have held sacred. There are things that God has revealed that we are pretty certain, I mean, rock solid on as far as what we would consider orthodox or right teaching, okay? But even then, human beings, as we begin to expand in our understanding, we can make mistakes. All human beings can make mistakes. And I don't think that the Bible is here to where we can point at people and tell them how wrong they are. I think the Bible many times points at us and reminds us of how much we're wrong and how much we really don't know, okay? God is greater. Now, we stand behind his truth, but I also believe that one day, whenever we stand in heaven, we're going to realize just maybe we didn't have it as together as we thought we did. That's the reason why here upon this earth, we must cleave to Christ. We must do our best in an unjudgmental way to cling to the word of God. And as we reach out into the world to even those who are bound in sin, we must recognize that we too were bound in sin at one time and we must preach the truth. That is not to say we don't preach the truth. Some people look at me and say, well, what are you saying? We just kind of sweep it on the rug? No. If we don't call sin a sin, people are going to die and go to hell. If people didn't look at me and say, Shane, that's sin, I would die and go to hell. 
It is merciful to tell people the truth, but make sure we speak the truth in love. Speak to them as if it were your child. Speak to them as if it was somebody that you long for in your family to be in the presence of God. And if we love them, truly love them, they'll hear the truth. They'll hear the truth that's in there. Okay, so the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, they're going to be here, and it says here, he noticed that he had faith to be healed. That is not to say, as some people say, well, the only reason you're not healed is because you didn't believe. I have seen people that had much more faith than I ever thought about having and walking with God. And people would look at them and say, well, if you just had faith, God would heal you. There is no place in Scripture that says on this side of eternity that every human being must walk in perfect health. And if you find that Scripture in the Old Testament where God talks about people not having uh, miscarriages, that they would be blessed, that was a covenant made with Israel, a covenant that they blew that fast. The point was, as God said, I would, but you won't. Okay? So, please hear, hear me out on this. If there was such a situation where everybody was supposed to be healed physically this side of eternity, there would be no sick. And I would tell you right now that if somebody had such a gift, they ought to go right now to every hospital in America and they ought to be emptying them out. But the fact is, is sick is a la- sickness because of the fall is allowed to remain so that we might know that this world is not our home. It's not the final resting place. It is fallen. It is broken. It is corrupted. And we look forward to a day that Jesus Christ is going to make it right. The joy of the future is there will be a time that there is no sickness, no sorrow, or crying. But at this present time, through many trials, toils, and snares... We have already come, right? We probably heard a little bit of that song at some point. But anyway, through all of these things, we become perfected, the Bible says, for the perfecting of the saints. So what does it mean here when it says he, saw, he had faith to be healed? Paul looked, and, and, and people, it's not as mysterious as you think. It kept saying, Paul kept looking at him intently. Why was it? The Holy Spirit kept calling his attention to him. Kept looking. He said, wait a minute. Notice that guy. Notice that guy. The Holy Spirit drawing Paul, and he could see that his heart was tender towards Jesus. He could see that his heart was calling out to him. And he could also see what the Holy Spirit was getting ready to do. Not because every person in the world is, not, is supposed to be void of hardships, but because God chose at that specific moment to reveal his power and his glory and to let people know. It's kind of like this. Let's go back in the uh, John. John chapter 11, I think. If, it's, if I'm right, I'll sound real intelligent. If I'm wrong, oh well. But anyway, I think it's 11 where we talk about uh, Lazarus, right? So Lazarus. Having died, a friend of Jesus, you remember the Bible says Jesus deliberately waited. You know, the the interesting thing to me is they said, well, if Jesus had come, he could have healed Lazarus. Well, my question is, what makes him think he couldn't have raised him from the dead anytime? It's like, Jesus, if you had only been here, you could have stopped this. Jesus like, I can stop it anytime. But hold on for a minute. He deliberately waits. He deliberately waits until he is dead, till there is no other possible option 
other than if Jesus were to pray, if Jesus were to command him to come out from the tomb, that everybody would know that he was dead. But why did Jesus call him out of the tomb? Why did he perform that miracle? Was that miracle so that everybody would know if I'm ever at death's door physically that Jesus is going to come in and take that horrible thing away from me, death? No. That's not what he did it for Lazarus for. Many people believe, and this is my conviction, is so that everybody would have a testimony forever that it doesn't matter whether we die in this life. It doesn't matter how horrible, how, I guess you would say, uh, complete or finished it might be. Jesus Christ holds life and death in the palm of his hands and not even death can stop him. If he speaks, someone who's been in the tomb for three days, or as Jesus said, whenever he steps out on those clouds, and that has been thousands of years, the Bible says whenever he utters his voice, every person will rise. It is a testimony that we know that he is the giver of life, that he is the resurrection and the life. Just something there, okay? So anyway, I guess we need to move on. So where was I? Okay. So he saw that he had faith to be healed in verse 10. And so he says with a loud voice, he just looks at the man, he commands with a loud voice. He says, stand up straight on your feet. This is a command. So he looks at me and he says, you, get up, stand on your feet. And the Bible says, you know, notice this. It didn't say he kind of went, well, hold on a minute. And he kind of rolls over onto his belly and he grabs on the three. That's not what it says. It says, and he leapt and he walked. And people, we talked about this miracle before uh, in the beginning of Acts. Okay, whenever they were coming to the temple, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, you remember what happened is they grabbed him, lifted him up, but here's the deal. The miracle is not just, okay, that strength is given to his legs. The miracle is that he can walk, that he can leap, that he is dancing. People, these are skills that are learned. No baby comes out of the womb, you know, moonwalking. Or what did y'all do in your day? Jitterbug or something? I don't know. What did y'all do? Got the mashed potatoes or something? I don't know what y'all did. Y'all need to tell somebody. And you know what's funny? The holy people over there and go, oh. and you know full well, y'all been at the beach shagging and doing all sorts. But anyway, moving on. It's okay to smile and to laugh. You know I'm going, I'm going to hear about this tomorrow. Rest assured I will. Okay. And by the way, in case you're wondering, in case somebody misinterpreted what I just said, the shag is a state dance of South Carolina. In case you're wondering. Ooh. I don't know why I say all this stuff. It's so weird. I mean, I don't know why I'm going here. But you know, my mother, she, she, she was, let me tell you something. My mama's a saint. I'm not, I'm not going to deny it. She's an outright saint. She married my father because she... I don't know, I guess she needed the gift of mercy or something. But anyway, I was at the beach one time, and my mother, whenever she was young and teenager, all the kids, everybody got together, and they would go dancing. I know that's a horrible thing, but just walk with me. And I looked up there, and there was a place called Fat Harold's. And there's a sign on the front, and my dad's snickering, but there's a sign on the front that says, Boogie at the pad, because your mama did too. And so I just decided for the fun of it, I said, Mama, you ain't danced at the pad, ha- pad, have you? And she looked at me and she said, Pat Harold? Oh, yeah, all the time. I was like, okay, good. Got this is my sainted mother, Sunday school teacher and everything. 
Look up my family tree. It's there. Trust me. Okay. 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 So 10. So the miracle also being is that he can walk. He can stand up. He's leaping. He's moving. He has balance, mobility. The miracle isn't just that he is given the ability to learn how to walk. He's walking. It's just like a mute person that has never spoken. The miracle isn't just that the person is now loosed in those regions to where his tongue can move to the point that he can speak. This person, having words never spoken, is speaking. It's a miracle. Okay? He's given the ability to do these things. All right. So let's see. And he leapt and he walked. Now look at what happens in verse 11. It says, Now when the people saw what Paul had done... They raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Uh-oh. Now, just because God has done something doesn't mean that the people are going to get the full picture yet, okay? These people being pagans, these people, as a matter of fact, the temple of Zeus was not too terribly far away, and they have decided in their minds that this is Zeus and Hermes, okay? The voice, or I guess you would say the the father of the mythological gods and the spokesperson for the gods. So anyway, it says, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And it says in Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Verse 13, it says, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was not far or was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitude. So they're going to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas here. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing this? We are also men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn. Turn away from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them. Now, we've talked about this before, but, you know, angels appearing, people are standing in awe. They don't know exactly what they're looking at, so they fall down and worship, and the angel look at them and say, get off your knees now. I'm a servant of God just like you are. And then you will see this happen with the apostles just like here. They fall on their knees before some other creature or people begin to worship them and they stop them immediately. And they say, no, no, no. Now, people, I'm going to say something that's going to sound really, really horrible and maybe I shouldn't get on my soapbox and do this because we're supposed to preach the word. We're not supposed to just stand up here and and just spout our own stuff, okay? And I don't think necessarily this is my own stuff. But I think it's something that we need to be careful of. Whether we admit it or not, human beings are prone to pride and arrogance. None is immune, male or female. We are. And there are times that we pray and we ask God, you know, make sure that you keep me where I need to be. Because in times of great blessing, whenever we see God moving in a particular area, it is very, very easy to look and to say, well, you know, uh, God used me in this area. And we start beginning to think, well, me, 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 me. And whenever we start thinking that, no, 
God may bless you and use you, and as long as you are submitted to him and you recognize his lordship, and it is by his grace, by the power of his spirit, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, God will bless you. He certainly will do that. But this is a problem that we see. People many times, whenever God does something awesome and wonderful, the preacher, and I'll pick on me, the preacher does not point right back to Jesus. The preacher just turns around and says, well, you know, uh, I've been praying real hard, and I've been doing this, that, and the other, and it starts out real innocent. Or it appears to be very innocent. And what we do is we take that glory which only belongs to God. And the next thing you know, we're on every television show in America, and we've got the hidden wisdom. By the way, be very careful of anybody that comes on television and says, this is a hidden secret that nobody has ever known from the foundation of the universe, that all of a sudden God has revealed to them, and you can only get it from them, okay? The Bible says this is not of any secret interpretation. This is God's word. It's there. Now, does God sometimes share things uh, that gives great light on certain things that happen in Scripture? Yeah, but he gives that to all. And certainly, whenever people look at you, God, forgive me. But they say, I will share this secret with you if you give me money. Somebody's picking your pocket. And I'll just let that fall right there. Okay? All right. So what they do is they command them. They come there with their sacrifices. They're getting ready to sacrifice to them. And they tear their clothes, a sign of mourning. They said, men, you don't need to do this. Uh, as a matter of fact, he says, God is trying to deliver you from these things. But notice in their culture, in their thought patterns, in their worship, these people are convinced that what they believe is true. The Bible calls it darkness. Their minds have been darkened and they believe this. In verse 16 it says, uh, who in bygone generations talking about God, he might have allowed you, you know, uh, and not just wiping you off the earth in, in judgment, he, he allowed people, you know, to walk in their own ways, at least for a season. Verse 17, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain themselves, uh, restrain the multitude from sacrificing them. So let me tell you what's happening as we stop. Paul is telling them, don't do this. This is wrong. Okay? Worship God. The Lord has come that we might be delivered out of this darkness, that we don't bow down to these false idols, and they're doing the best to point out the truth to them. But they said, even while preaching, that last comment is this, they could scarcely hold them back. These people are bound and determined to worship and sacrifice to them. So I guess we will have to pick up next week. All right. If everyone will please stand with me. Now, we do have choir tonight, right? You said, you said two, three hours worth just tonight? Okay. Tonight, if everybody will stand with me for just a moment, let's do this. I want us to bow our heads before God in worship. Just say, Father, we love you, we worship you. But I'd like to ask anyone out there as we're praying, is there anyone that needs special prayer? As we're praying just around there, does anybody need special prayer, want to come down front and be prayed for or anything? All right, then I'll tell you what, let's pray together. Let's pray.
wonderful, wonderful God, true and living God who is always there, the God who is always faithful and good, merciful and gracious. Father, you have seen all, understood all from eternity to eternity, and Father, you have made it all good. It does not matter how the enemy has raged. It doesn't matter how he attacks and what he does. In the end, Father, Satan will be crushed under your feet. You will make Satan the footstool of Jesus Christ. Father, we long for that day. We long for the day whenever your kingdom comes in its fullness and your will is done on this earth, even as it is done in heaven. Father God, tonight we say that we love you. We need you, God. Please forgive us of our sins. Teach us, Father, how to walk with you. Father, may we be light and love and grace everywhere we go. Oh, Father, we, we don't deserve you. But, Father, may through our lives in some way, may we give you glory. May, Father, we bring love and joy to your heart. Father, we submit this time to you and we ask you to watch over us and keep us. All these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Love somebody before you leave. Brother, I like that. You timed that just right. You know what I'm saying? That's good. Amen. Love somebody.